I'm not sure if this is true for you or it's just me, but as we've been studying through the book of Ruth and hear the story of how God interacts with Ruth and Naomi and their family, I'm finding myself uh, being brought to, to mind the ways in my own story that God has interacted with me. And this week, as I was reading about Naomi's um, transformation that comes from the kindness Boaz extends to her daughter-in-law, I was mindful of a season where God's kindness came somewhat swiftly and very palpably in, in my life. And it was when Heather and I were first married, we were living in Chicago. I was still an engineer then. I was building buildings. Um, she was working at Loyola and finishing a master's degree there. And we were having trouble connecting with the church. We had visited a number of churches. We found one we liked. Um, Their small group ministry was spread out all over the city. And so we were going to a small group that was near our part of Chicago. And we just weren't connecting with the people. Um, That mystery of affinity just wasn't there. And I was growing very frustrated with the whole process. And I can remember coming home and praying a very dangerous prayer. I don't remember the exact words of it, but this is the idea. I said something like this. I said, Lord, you've either got to take all of my life or none. I'm really frustrated and I'm ready to give up on church completely. Now that's a dangerous prayer to pray. Take all of my life or you get none. I'm pretty sure he went, check, got that. All right. Now I, I need to fill you in. Um, we, I was feeling a little bit claustrophobic in Chicago. We didn't even own a car the first year we were there. It was very you know, dense. We were living in apartments and taking the L and taxis and um, and my work was fine. I was doing well at it, but I was, I was, I'd done enough of it that I thought, I had the alpha question. Is there more to life than this? This is it. I'm just going to keep doing this. And it was stressful um, doing building construction, but I was looking for more. And the Lord was stirring within me. I prayed that prayer probably in April, maybe, or May, or like in the springtime. And by the end of August, we had moved cities We had quit both of our jobs. We were living on a small farm. I could ride my bicycle from that farm to a church where I was an intern, and Heather had scored an awesome job at the University of Pittsburgh, our alma mater. All of that happened very swiftly. And I was thinking about how amazing it was as I was picking um, fresh eggs from the hen house and going out in the garden and pulling some tomatoes to make an omelet for breakfast. I was like, this is amazing. God has been so kind to me, and it completely changed my attitude. And this morning, I want you to think about the fact that God's loving kindness experienced by us changes us. It transforms us. And we're going to look at how that happens for Naomi in in this part of the story. And I want you to think about uh, a verse from Romans 2, verse 4. Romans 2, verse 4 says, um, and this is how the praise song that was popular back in, in my Chicago days put it, it's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. Repentance being a change of mind and a turn, a change in our direction. It's your kindness that causes us to turn and go back to you. That's what the Lord's word says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It's the kindness of the Lord in Naomi's situation in the story that causes her to turn and go back to the Lord. And she changes significantly. Now, I I want to um, share with you a Hebrew word. And if you'll put this up on Um, the screen. There's a word that I pulled out of the Hebrew dictionary. You can just put that up on the screen and leave it there for the rest of the sermon. Um, Those three characters are the Hebrew word, and it's hesed. If you're a Jewish person or a Hebrew speaker, you would say it with a clearing of your throat, like hesed. That's actually how that 
that first letter is pronounced, but it's hesed. And it's difficult to translate into English because it's an all-encompassing type of word. So I went into the Hebrew lexicon, and that's the fancy word for I'm smarter than you and my dictionary has a different name. A lexicon is just a dictionary, but it's the Hebrew dictionary, and it gives a huge definition. And I just pulled some of the definition up there. So hesed means goodness, it means steadfast love, it means loving kindness, it means mercy, favor, redemption from troubles, honoring covenants. And then in parentheses, uh, the, the dictionary actually had in parentheses, and it said, especially to the lowly, the needy, and the miserable. So it's not just kindness, it's loving kindness. It's steadfast. It's got a covenant commitment to it. And this word is in the Old Testament 249 times, usually referring to God. The ESV oftentimes translates it with a, a compound word, loving kindness. It's loving kindness. Um, some of you are familiar with that word because two years ago, if you were on the women's retreat, that was a central word that was in the teaching that the speaker brought to that retreat. God's loving kindness is huge. It's almost overwhelming, and it's really important. Now, this morning, I imagine there are three general responses to God's loving kindness. One is you know it. You know exactly what his covenant faithfulness looks like in your life, all the different ways he's been kind to you and generous to you and merciful in times of need and been faithful to you even when you were faithless, and you wouldn't trade it for the world. Literally, Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Well, the reverse is true for you. You, your soul is well because you know God's loving kindness, and so the world is not that important to you. You want to win people to Christ, but there's nothing you would ever trade for his loving kindness. My heart will sing no other name, Jesus. That is your heart song. But there are some of you in here that have experienced his loving kindness in the past, and your circumstances and the hardships of life and whatever has caused you to drift away. You've um, started to question you're, you're wondering about God. Did he forget me? Is he ignoring me? Did I do something wrong? Where is his kindness? It's like you're under a cloud. Or maybe you've tried something in the world to satisfy in a way that only God can, and you're tempted to sing a different song, to quote the one we just sang. You're tempted to sing another song than God's song, and you're in a, in a place, uh, a, not a good place. You've drifted away. Or there's some of you in here that don't know at all what I'm talking about. The idea that God has loving kindness is foreign to you. You've never experienced it. Or if you experienced it, you didn't realize it was coming from him. It didn't feel like it was divine in its origin. And so you just don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know why, if that describes you, I don't know why that's the case. Why some people very quickly experience God's loving kindness and know it came from him, and other people don't readily receive it, or it takes a long time. I don't know why, but for you, if you're in that third category, this morning, I want to invite you to consider just would you be open to God's loving kindness in your life? If what I'm about to say is true of him, do you want that in your life? And I think that's a good place to start as we look into God's word. Now, Ruth chapter 2 is on page 223 in a pew Bible, and it was verse 20 that I really keyed in on this week as I was preparing. Verse 20 says this. This is Ruth chapter 2, verse 20. And these, these are words on the lips of Naomi. She says, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness, chesed is the word, whose chesed has not forsaken the living or the dead. 
That is very different. Her attitude has been transformed. She's now praying blessings on Boaz um, because she's experienced God's loving kindness. And she's remembering who God is. If you jumped back to chapter 1, verse 20, this is chapter 2, verse 20. If you read chapter 1, verse 20, it says this. She said to them, to the women of the town, um, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Mara means bitter. She's bitter, she's downcast, she is hurting, she's destitute, she's lost a lot, and she's just bitter. In one chapter, she's changed significantly. Now she's saying, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, this is a sentence that is grammatically, intentionally ambiguous. Who is it that had kindness? In verse 19, it was Boaz who was kind to Ruth. And then Naomi says, may he be blessed, meaning may Boaz be blessed by the Lord whose kindness. Well, is it Boaz's kindness or is it the Lord's kindness? You could read it either way, grammatically. And I think that's intentional on the author's part because the Lord is being kind through Boaz's kindness. We're seeing both happen. She's changed a lot because she's experienced some of God's loving kindness. She has food now. Ruth went out and gleaned that very first day. And as we said last time, by chance, by chance, it wasn't an accident. God was providing and sent her into the field of Boaz. And he was so kind to her. Chesed, loving kindness from Boaz to Ruth caused her to come home with like 40 pounds of barley. And they would roll up their outer garment and like, remember when you were a kid and you had your t-shirt and somebody was going to give you a bunch of candy or something and you hold it out like this, 40 pounds of barley in the outer folds of her clothing. She's bringing home like this, plus her leftover lunch. Because remember, Boaz fed her at lunch and there was so much leftover, she had food to bring home. She came home with huge abundance and Naomi experiences that loving kindness of God, providing not just for Ruth, but also for Naomi. And her spirit starts to lift. She's not thinking, I'm just bitter. Now she's pronouncing blessings on Boaz and for his kindness, and she's praying again, and she's way invested in the, in the process. She has transformed. She's different. I mean, remember, she came back bitter, and um, she said, I, I went away full, but I've come back with nothing. Meanwhile, keep in mind, Ruth was right there with her. Ruth, who out of loving kindness, covenant faithfulness said, I will stay with you, mother-in-law. I will forsake Moab and go to Bethlehem. I will be part of your people. I will worship your God. He'll be my God now. And she says, I've come back with nothing. What is Ruth thinking? Here I am, Naomi. I guess I'm nothing, right? She was in that place of just couldn't see the blessings that God even had given her in the hard time. She was just bitter. And now she's being transformed. She's very different because of this. Now, I feel like I need to explain something um, so that you understand what it means when, when she says that Boaz is um, one of our redeemers. It's in verse, um, it's actually the second half of verse 20. She says, um, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, this makes no sense to us unless you understand the custom in ancient Israel and the importance of land being passed down through the family line, through the, the firstborn male, so that it always stayed with that clan. This was part of covenant membership in the people of God. You had a specific clan that your tribe, the 12 tribes of Israel, and your family had a plot of land that was yours in perpetuity. But there were things that compromised that. One, death. 
when the men, if the men all died, like what happened here, Elimelech and his two sons both died, so he had no more male offspring, and there was no one to inherit that land. That could compromise your inheritance. The other thing that could do it, there are a couple things, but one is poverty. Sometimes people had so much debt, they had to enslave themselves to someone else to pay off their debt, and their land now was being used by their, their, their owner, basically. And so the Bible had specific ways that that problem could be overcome. One was a redeemer who was a family relative could buy the land back from the person that, the, that they were in debt to and then restore it to that family line. If it was a situation of uh, death and we had a widow, then he could marry the widow on behalf of his relative and then continue the family line through a marriage. For us, that's weird, right? We're in a a sex-crazed, romance-oriented culture, and the idea that marriage was not about romance or sex is weird to us. It was actually about security. It was about a future. It was about longevity. It wasn't so much about romance, although this story certainly has that running underneath it, too. There seems to be a real strong affection between um, Boaz and Ruth as you go through this story. But it was about provision. It was about staying in God's covenant. It was about living where you were supposed to live. And this was, this was still present in Jesus's day. In fact, in Matthew 22, there's some, some Sadducees, a group of religious leaders who don't believe in a resurrection, and they come to challenge Jesus's teaching about a resurrection, and they make reference to this marriage thing. It's called, by the way, the scholars call it leveret marriage from a Latin word that means brother-in-law. This idea of leveret marriage is picked up in Matthew 22. So they make up a hypothetical. There's a, a man who dies and is and and then his brother marries the widow, and then this happens seven times. All seven brothers marry the same woman. In the resurrection, they say, whose wife will she be? And Jesus gives an answer, which I'll let you read at another time. But they say it's the brother's duty to marry the widow. They're referring back to this leveret marriage thing. This is important for the story of Ruth because the idea of a kinsman redeemer a relative, a kin, a person of their family who would redeem the situation so the family inheritance could stay in that family line. She says, you're in Boaz's field. Oh, he's one of our relatives, a redeemer. And what we're going to find is not only does he buy the land back, but then he marries her. He does both. He buys the land back and then he provides offspring who can then keep that in the family line. This happens in this story. And if you want to read about it, about that law, you can go to Leviticus 25 or Deuteronomy 25. It describes those scenarios. So the possibility of redemption starts to draw Naomi into the story. Ruth gleans this barley and then also wheat. So the barley harvest comes first and then wheat. And it's probably about six or seven weeks of this. So all summer she's working, bringing home food, constantly bringing home food. And remember, we said last two weeks ago, food was one of her problems, but a future was another problem. So the, the chapter en- or ends, look at the last, last line of chapter two. So, so Ruth kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. That last line is really important. The narrator is setting this thing up. He's advancing the narration into chapter three. You could almost read it like the, headlo- the, the headlines in the grocery store tabloids. Will Ruth die in Naomi's apartment? Will she ever have a family of her own? 
Is Boaz just pursuing a summer romance or could there be more? I mean, that statement, it propels us into the next chapter. We're wondering, okay, what's going to happen? So they got food for the summer, but is there a future? That question leaves us hanging as we go into the next chapter. Now, this idea of the kinsman redeemer and this idea of hesed, loving kindness, is all over the scriptures. I was reading in our new prayer book, and we, you know, we, we have this new prayer book that we're going to start using in, um, in December for Advent 1. They're actually in the pews, but don't start looking at them now. I converted the early service this morning. We're now practicing um, for Advent 1, but they're in there. The, the new prayer book has a, a morning and an evening reading, and it was an ancient custom of the Anglican Church to read through the Bible in a year and to read through the Psalms every 30 or 60 days, and there are readings prescribed for morning and evening, and I've been working my way through those. So in this prior week, the Psalms that were appointed were Psalms 56 to 73, and I was reading them throughout the week. And I kept coming across loving kindness, loving kindness, loving kindness. It was all through those psalms. So I, I, it actually was in there 11 times in those psalms. And so I just printed them out. Listen to some of the promises that are in just the psalms about God's hesed, his loving kindness. He says, the psalmist says in Psalm 57, your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. In 59, my God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Out of his hesed, he's going to give you deliverance from your enemies and those that would harm you. In 59, a little later, it says, I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud about your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. When it gets hard, God's loving kindness means he provides refuge. He doesn't deliver us from those hardships, but just like Psalm 23 says, through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. He carries us as a refuge through those things. Um, Jumping down to Psalm 62, to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work in a good way. Fairness. He will be fair. Psalm 66, blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. When I am faithless, God is always faithful. And one more, Psalm 69, answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good according to your abundant mercy. Turn to me. The psalmist prays and cries out to God, appealing to the character of God. Because of your chesed, because of your loving kindness, have mercy on me. He can do it because he's saying, this is who you are, God. I know your character because the scriptures reveal that. It shows us who God is. And so he prays into the character of God. Be merciful to me because you're loving and kind. This is who you are. This is all through the scriptures. Now, Romans 2, 1 through 4 says that we have a problem. He's holy and we're sinful. And his kindness to us is supposed to lead us to repentance Paul asks it rhetorically, don't you know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, to change your mind, to change your path and turn to God where you are drifting away? It's an invitation to come into the relationship we need with God. I don't know that we realize this, but we are outside of a covenant relationship with God until we find his Redeemer and are brought back in. The Redeemer is, of course, Jesus. And this whole story of Boaz is pointing us forward. Boaz is a type He's a prefigure of a Christ-like figure. 
And so Christ perfects what Boaz starts. Boaz brings food. He will, as we'll see in the next two chapters, he brings a family line. He redeems the land. But we need, need even more than that. We need a permanent future. We don't just need one generation. We don't just need our food for today. We need eternity. And so what happens in the story is when Naomi catches a glimpse that, hey, Boaz could be our redeemer, then her spirit starts to lift. When she experiences loving kindness, God's loving kindness, it transforms her. And the same is true of us. When we hear there's a redeemer who can bring us back into a covenant relationship with God, that we as sinners can approach a holy God and he will accept us, forgive us, and and then love us, our spirits lift. Could it be true? Is it possible, God, that I could be brought into a relationship with you? And the strong answer to that is yes, it is. And the cross is the answer that Jesus does something for us to purchase us back. And the scriptures refer to him as the bridegroom and the church his bride. So he buys us out of our sin and our slavery to evil and wickedness, and then he marries us and makes an eternal covenant with us. And this is the marriage feast of the Lamb. That's what the Eucharist is. We do Holy Communion. All of these themes that are in Ruth and Boaz are picked up and perfected in Christ. It gives us great hope. Now, I want you to not just think, well, that's the, that's the big gift, is that the cross was the big gift, so how dare I ask for anything more? I want to encourage you to ask for even more of the Lord, because his very nature is to, be, to have hased, to have loving kindness toward you. Don't settle for less. Ask for more. Don't stop pursuing him. Ask, seek, knock. Go, go for more. Keep pursuing the Lord. Now, I need, to, I need to insert a clause here and say, I'm not preaching prosperity gospel. I'm not saying you live your best life now, it's up to you, be a good person, and God will reward you. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm telling you God is good, and he's always good, even when it gets hard. Even though you go through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with you. He carries us through this life. He is the refuge. The Lord provided Jesus, and he did it to win our hearts. Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until we cleaned up our act and somehow became worthy. It was while we were still sinners. We were his enemies that God, Christ died for us. And God then turns us. When we see his loving kindness, we repent and we turn back to him. So the way I'd like to conclude this morning, thinking back to the three groups of people that are in here, I'd like to pray and I'd like to do it slowly. I'd like to invite you to pray silently in your heart after me if you agree with these sentences I'm going to pray. And I'm just going to make this prayer up right now on the spot, just but recognizing God's loving kindness. So let's pray. Lord, I see in the scriptures how good you are to your people. Forgive me, Lord, for not receiving you. Lord, forgive me for believing lies about you that you can't be trusted, that you're cruel or not good. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for me. I trust you. And I pray that you will show me in many ways your loving kindness. Give me eyes to see it and transform my attitude and my heart. For I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.